up in 2 Samuel chapter 18 with the death of Absalom after his horrible rebellion. David has had to flee the city of Jerusalem for his life. Beginning with verse 1. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishah, that would be Joab's brother, the son of Zeruah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Atiah the Gittite. And David said to the men, I myself will go out with you. But the men said, you, you shall not go out. For if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. It is Therefore, it is better for you to send us help from the city. And David said, whatever seems best to you, I will do. They say, is that a leader? You know, it's a leadership thought. Leaders listen. So the king stood by the side of the gate while the arm, all the army marched out by hundreds and thousands. And the king ordered Joab and Abishah and Ataiah, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people than the sword that day. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under a thick branches of a great oak, and his head was caught fast in the oak, where he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on. Now you say, how could that happen? Remember? the vanity of his long hair that he would only cut once a year at the end of the year and it was worth and it weighed two talents okay the, the his vanity got him and certain men saw it and told Joab behold i saw absalom hanging in an oak and joab said to the man who told him what you saw him why then did you not strike him there to the ground i would have been glad and gave you 10 pieces of silver and a belt but the man said to joab even if I had felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king commanded you and Abishai and Ataiah, for my sake protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would stand aloof. <laughs> so this guy, this guy knows Joab, okay? Joab was known as a very ruthless man. And Joab said, I will not waste my time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And the ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained them. There's no point. Absalom's dead. And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones and all Israel fled, everyone to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name and it is called Absalom's monument to this day.
Then Ahamaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him out of the hand of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You are not to carry the news today. You may carry news another day. But today you shall carry no news, because the king's son is dead. He's now, wait a minute. I violated orders. I'm not going to have somebody run and tell him that I violated orders. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. And the Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Now this is a foreigner. This is not, a, he's not an Israelite. Not one of the family. Then Amahaz, the son of Zadok, said to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? Come what may, he said, I will run. And he said, Run! Then Ahamaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. And David was standing between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. And the watchman called out and told the king, and the king said, If he's alone, there is news in his mouth. And as he drew nearer and nearer, the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gate and said, See, another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings news. And the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahamaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. Then Ahamaaz cried out to the king, All is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And Ahamaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all those who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, would I have died instead of you, O Absalom, my son? Now, brothers and sisters, you look at that and you go, no, no, wait a minute, David. This guy, this guy's wanting to kill you and you still love him. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, one of the things that you have to learn in life is you don't turn your heart off and stop loving people because they're idiots. Okay. I mean, you, you still love people. Second Samuel chapter 19. It was told Joab. Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the day that victory was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. And the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, you have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the life of your sons and your daughters and the life of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise and go and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. 
and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And all the people were told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't like Joab much, okay? Here is a man who is ruthless. Uh, I mean, he, he, he kills two men in cold blood. Now, now he kills Absalom when he's helpless. To capture him alive would have still ended the battle. And he violated the king's orders. Personally, I think he killed him because Absalom controlled him. Remember, this is the guy that was using Joab as access to the king. And for some reason, Joab couldn't say no to this guy. This is the guy that burned Joab's field because Joab wouldn't respond to him. And Joab never brought any consequences against him for that. This is a guy who had something on Joab and was controlling him. So I don't think he killed Absalom out of concern for the king. He killed Absalom because of his own political ambitions and because of his own, his own heart, his own selfishness. But that said, what he said to the king was true that day. Sometimes your love for the people who hurt you get in the way of serving the people who love you. And now let me say that one more time. Sometimes your love for the people who hurt you really gets in the way of the people who have loved you. You don't see Jesus weeping over Judas after he committed suicide. You don't even see Jesus talking about Judas. Jesus focused on the men who stood with him. And now, now this, this is a leadership thing, folks. This is a leadership thing. This is learning... This is learning that when people are loyal to you and they're committed to you and they sacrifice for you, you, you can't let your love for people who have betrayed you outweigh the love for the people who are with you. Something to remember. So let's just, let's just make a note of that. Never let love for those who betray outweigh the love of those loyal to you. Verse 9. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom? But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And notice, we anointed over us, not God. You had to be careful when rebels, when rebels convince you to make them leaders. You anoint them, not God. And David sent this message to Zadok and Abathar the priests. Say to the elders of Judah, Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house, when the word of all Israel has come to the king? And you, my brothers, are my bone and my flesh. Why should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, 
Are you not bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army from now on in the place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, Return, both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and bring the king over the Jordan. Now notice, consequences. Finally, there are consequences for Joab. This man who has betrayed the king's trust so many times, finally there are consequences, and there is a new commander of the armies of Israel. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Let's make some noise. 
Our New Testament passage today picks up on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now let's define all. There were 500 at the ascension. There's 120 in the upper room. Now here's my question. Where are the 380? I mean, you have to look at it. Where are the 380? They all heard the command to remain, but only 120 did. I wonder how many Christians miss being a part of some powerful supernatural event because just like the 380, they don't know how to be patient in their obedience, patiently obey. Patient obedience is necessary. Not just obedience, patient obedience. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one. So you have like a pillar of fire And then the pillar of fire divided into all these 120 individual tongues. Now, I want you to understand the significance of this. In the Old Testament, at the dedication of the tabernacle and at Solomon's temple, the fire fell one time. And then they were to keep the fire burning. This signified the acceptance of the temple by God. This is why we don't see tongues of fire today. Now, the pillar of fire that came down and then broke into these individual tongues shows that the church, church is now the New Testament temple. And the individual tongues show that the believer is now the New Testament temple. And both of these have been accepted. Now we talk a lot about we are the temple of God. This shows that as a believer, we have been accepted by God as his temple. That the fire fell down once, and now we are to keep the fire burning. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit. Spirit gave them utterance. Nobody taught them this new language. Nobody taught them what to say. The Spirit gave them the words. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under earth or under heaven. Now why? Because this is the feast of Pentecost. So there would be Jews from all over the earth coming into Jerusalem for the feast. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Now remember, Paul teaches us that tongues are the tongues of men and of angels. So in this case, on that day, they were speaking with tongues of known languages today. I've heard foreigners come into the Philippines, get off the airplane, and sit in my old apartment. It happened here on this property. It was an intercessor with the the Kenneth Copeland Ministries all those years ago, back in 1980. 
and he was staying in our guest room in our apartment. And he was praying in perfect Bulacan Tagalog. Well, he just arrived that day. He had no clue what he was saying, but he was praying in perfect Bulacan Tagalog. Tongues of men and of angels. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? There were Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Ferga and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to know that what does this mean? But others were mocking. You know, today there are still people that mock the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. They were mocking, saying, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, now here's a great leadership truth, standing with the eleven, the eleven stood with Peter. They stood together. Leadership stands together. Lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. All right, so he uses scripture to explain. When people criticize the move of God, you use scripture to explain. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just believers. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now notice, sons and daughters. There's no, forgive me, this thing that women are not allowed to speak is really taking Paul out of context and, and totally misrepresenting. Here, even on the day of Pentecost, women were speaking in other tongues. Women were declaring the things of God. Male and female servants, and they, male and female, shall prophesy. Wow. Wow. This, this complementarianism doctrine that some of our Baptist brethren are wanting to spread where women should be silent and be in submission to their husbands and, you know, never say anything. I, I believe that wives should be submissive to their husbands. But I also believe that God will put his hand on a woman and she can prophesy. Ah. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And show it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, <laughs> everybody who calls on Jesus, everyone who calls on Jesus shall be saved. Men of Israel, Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. 
He said, hey, I'm not telling you something you don't know about. He said, you saw the miracles Jesus did. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You used others. You used others to do your dirty work. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that. This is one of my little lists. Things not possible. This is one of my lists. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart will be glad and my tongue rejoice. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life, and you make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David had both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, all right, so David was a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn to him with an oath, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. Good preaching. Good preaching with scripture touches the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do and Peter said repent be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so he said number one repent of your sins he said number two be water baptized. He said, number three, be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Three things he told him to do. For the promise is for you, your children, and for all who are afar off, everyone on whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So, Pentecost does not end in one generation. Pentecost did not end in one generation. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. <laughs> oh, the wonderful day of Pentecost. Ah, we better hurry up, though, because we're going to run out of time if we're not careful. A little bit of wisdom today from Proverbs chapter 27, beginning with verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know 
what a day may bring. Beloved, if there was ever something that we have learned during this COVID thing, we have no idea what, what tomorrow brings. We just learn to trust God. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Never self-praise. You know, now when I was in university, and I can remember all my life listening to businessmen, and I can even remember sitting in pastor's conferences where people stand up and say, you know, you have to blow your own horn because nobody else will blow it. And they were speaking metaphorically that you need to promote yourself. That's not what God says. Beloved, let another praise you. Not your own mouth. Don't, don't praise yourself. Now, he, he, he gets into something strong here now. He said, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty. But a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Beloved, there are few things harder to bear in life and to carry in life than being provoked by a fool. It is a heavy burden. This is a heavy burden to bear. This is a heavy burden to carry. And you need to understand, when you see a fool always picking at somebody, always provoking somebody, you need, you need to pray for them. It's a heavy burden to bear. Wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming. Wow. So wrath is cruel. It'll hurt somebody without feeling. Anger is overwhelming. Anger can be used to overwhelm a situation. But who could stand before jealousy? So the most powerful negative emotion is jealousy. Jealousy is more powerful than wrath. Jealousy is more powerful than anger. The jealousy may never be spoken. Wow. You need to meditate on that today. The most powerful negative emotion is jealousy. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Hidden love is painful, brothers and sisters. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. When a, a friend comes up and corrects you, not, not criticize you and mock you, but provoke you, but, but correct you. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know, sometimes I, I sat down with some young pastors one time, and they were very upset, and they said, Pastor Summerall, I don't understand this person who betrayed me. And I said, they said, they're always telling me how much they love me. I said, you know, the more somebody tells me that they love me, now I'm not talking about my wife or my family, but the more somebody keeps, oh, I love you, Pastor. Oh, I love you, Pastor. If every, oh, I love you, Pastor. You know, the more they say it, the more I back up. Now, I know that sounds cynical. But you know what? When you really love people, yes, you express it once in a while. But when you don't go over. When people are going overboard, I remember one guy kept telling me, I love you, Pastor. I love you, Pastor. And just every time, and I looked at him and I said, you know, are you trying to convince yourself? He said, what do you mean? I said, almost every word you say to me is, I love you, Pastor. I love you. I said, can't you have a normal conversation? 
Are you trying to convince yourself? And you know, that person also betrayed me. You, you learn that profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Whoa. Profuse. Multiplied. Enemies will kiss you a lot because they lull you. They use their expressions of love to love you into a sense of security. And then they destroy you because they're an enemy. All right, we're going to stop there today. Tonight, we'll see you back as we work on the book of Proverbs, The Three Great Gifts. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock sharp.